here, and we're blessed to have you, and I'm going to turn it over to you at this time. Thanks. Thank you, Pastor Randall. We're on staff with Masterline Ministries, like Randall is saying, and right now we're doing this project that we call the Crush Fear Summer Project, and this is the first of two this summer, and the whole idea is to help students confront just a range of different fears, whether they're internal, insecurity type fears, personal fears, relational fears, physical fears, or ministry fears, and help them confront all those over a period of about 12 days, almost two weeks, in such a way that they can really become free to live the lives that God called them to live. Dakota and David are here. They're going to share their testimonies. This is part of the Crush Fear Project, is being able to share what God's done in your life in front of a large group. So this morning, students are sharing their testimonies in nine local churches in Bayfield, Ignacio, and Durango. And this is part of the project. And then all afternoon, all over Ignacio and Durango, we're going to be doing a lot of evangelism. And we want to invite all of you to join us this afternoon. Like Pastor Randall said, we are going to talk about evangelism today. And my hope is that it would encourage you. I feel very privileged to be here. It's just amazing that God would open up doors for us to encourage other people. I feel like we're in the process right there with you. We are not Ray Comfort or Billy Graham or anybody like that. We're just some guys that are attempting the best we can to follow God and to tell people about Him. We want to do the best we can to encourage you guys. As we get started, I want you to write something down here. You should have some notes. It should have a little picture of a guy standing there. At the top of that, just write down these two websites, and you can check them out sometime when you get home. The first website is Great Commission, and Commission is spelled with two M's and two S's. Great Commission 2020.com. Great Commission 2020.com. That's going to pull up an interactive map of the world that shows live decisions for Christ. It pulls together a lot of evangelistic websites, and it pulls together all the responses into one map that you can watch and observe. So if you want to get a little encouragement about what God's doing around the world, check that out. It's really neat. The other one, which is similar, is godrev.com, G-O-D-R-E-V.com. It also has a live map of the world with live decisions for Christ. So with that, I wanted to say, guys, as we get started, that the good news is good news. Randall talked a bit about it a minute ago when he was introducing communion. But honestly, where would you be without Christ? Think of all the fruit of the flesh. Think about the pride, the bitterness, the lust, the hate, the envy. Think about all the loneliness, the emptiness, all the things that characterized your and my life before Christ. Then think about an eternity without Him, separated from every aspect of His nature and His goodness and His character. And Christ did away with all that by dying on the cross for each of our sins. That's good news. And there are people all across this world that desperately need to hear that good news. The good news is good news. There are 150,000 people a day on this planet that die. That's nearly two per second. By the time we're done talking here, there will have been 4,000 deaths across this planet. That's 4,000 people that will have entered eternity, many of them to a Christless eternity. This is not a somewhat significant topic. This is the biggest topic. And it's something that's very dear to Jesus' own heart, is sharing the gospel. So how can we keep silent? If you had the cure for cancer, what would it take to stop you from sharing that with the world? We have something much greater than even that. I think it's about 179,000 people a day are putting their trust in Christ. That's awesome. And as evidence of what God is doing, I want to invite Dakota to come up here. Dakota is a good friend of mine. He is a student at Fort Lewis College. 
He's been involved in our ministry this past year, his freshman year, and he's on the Crush Fear Project. And he's going to tell you a little bit about what God's been doing in his life. So, Dakota, I can't wait to hear what you say. Sweet. Hi, I'm Dakota. Growing up, I didn't uh, really know anything about Jesus Christ. And in fact, I didn't step into a, or into a church until I was 17 years old. That was because both my parents were Native American, Navajo and Sioux. And I grew up uh, just believing their spiritual beliefs, like going to meetings, rituals, and all that stuff. And so I had an idea of a God. And I really didn't know about it, and I don't know if I wanted to believe in it quite yet. I just really did my own thing. And uh, I just did everything for me, being selfish, you know. Then actually... Last summer, I met this girl, and she was a believer, so she invited me to this youth group back at home. This is where I first heard the gospel, all about Jesus and what Jesus did for me. And so at this point, I still really wasn't sure about there's a God or anything like that, because I just still wanted to just do my things my way. Later on, that girl that invited me to that youth group, we started dating. Because of that, I was really happy. But then when she figured out that I really didn't believe in God or Jesus, she's like, oh, I can't be with you if like, you don't believe in that stuff. And that just like, that made me really sad. So I started going to church and going to the youth group more often. And uh, I was just basically acting and, and believing something I did not believe. And uh, I was just doing this all for the wrong reasons. I wasn't doing it for Jesus. I was doing it for this girl. I went to the church and youth group throughout the summer. And then I started college up at Fort Lewis. And then I got invited from a friend to go to the youth group on campus. I heard John 3.16, which is, uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And that, to me, just it hit me really hard. And just made me realize like, how selfish and how sinful I am. That he loved me so much that he gave his only Son to die for me, die for my sins. And, like, like, I don't know how he could love me after, like, how sinful and selfish I was. And so everything that I believed and wanted and just tried to do, it didn't last and it didn't satisfy me. And just, I had this feeling that something inside me was missing in my life. And that I needed something that I could count on forever, which was Jesus. And so seeing that in my life, that, like, my life was just so much more than just me. And then I could count on something, and I could uh, live my life in confidence, knowing that nothing could snatch me away from Him. Soon after I realized that, probably a couple of days after I heard that verse, I really took it upon myself to put my, all my faith in Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Just ever since that, I've been putting my faith into Jesus. Just everything in my life has changed. Everything that I've, like, the way I see and perceive things. And seeing, just seeing the fruit of the Spirit work in my life is just so amazing. And it opened my eyes up to how God made me. And because of that, I don't have to worry about like what this world thinks of me. And I could just live for Him. So far, I'm still working and getting close to Him every day. And it's just been amazing. Thanks, Dakota, so much for sharing. Dakota is one of... 16 students that came from around the country to this Crush Fear project. Next, to share, we have a student that drove all the way down from Wisconsin. So why don't you guys give a hand to David.
And I just wanted to share with you a story about my search for love personally. It started way back when I was in elementary school. I was a really shy boy, and I really wanted to make friends and find acceptance at school, just probably like every other kid does. And I'm still pretty shy today. That might be obvious. <laughs> just growing up, I felt like the little runt of the litter in, in a way going to school. I kind of tried to work my way into little groups of friends, and I kind of got pushed out again. So that made me self-conscious and just kind of feeling out of place like a misfit at school. Besides starting out in elementary school, going to church with my parents was something else that really was a big part of my life. But I never really thought about God too much at that point in my life because to me, God was something more impersonal than personal. He was the pictures up on my grandparents' walls, and he was the stained glass windows in the church building, the priests, the rosaries, the, the statues, the hard wooden church pews I had to sit in for an hour and a half. That was God to me then, and I think that was God to my parents too. So by the time I, I got to middle school, my parents kind of pulled out of the church, and I did too. So we all stopped going to church by that point, and uh, middle school was a point in my life where it got kind of hard, because that's when a lot of the bullying started for me. Um, I was still trying to find acceptance among people at school, and I tried to join some youth groups back at home. One was called Awana, and another one was called Sunseekers. And I found that, you know, in those groups, I wasn't really searching for God so much, but I was, I was searching for this love I couldn't really grasp, and I was looking for acceptance among people there, too. So I didn't find that to be really changing me, or I didn't find acceptance there like I really wanted to. So as I kind of grew up through middle school, I got bullied more and more. Um, I got kicked around a lot, pushed around, you know, physical bullying, and a lot of it was emotional and mental for me, too. The bigger things for me didn't start until about seventh grade. A lot of rumors started to go around about me in school, and uh, just between my classmates, and it spread to classes above and below me, too. Just things that were very hurtful and that weren't true. By the point I hit high school, that bullying, it didn't get any better. And I kind of looked at my classmates with more of a, a hateful attitude than a care like I once had for them, like I once wanted to have for them. It took its toll on me to know that my classmates growing up from kindergarten, they treated me the way they did because they didn't understand me. And they didn't want to really know who I was. But I didn't take much initiative either, being that I was shy to really get to know them. So I began to hate the people in my school. I began to hate school and going to class. All my classmates, too. And this wasn't just the word hate. It was, it was a passion of hate for these people, for how they were treating me. And throughout high school, I kind of, I kind of took that and applied it in different areas of my life by moving on to groups of people in school that would accept me for, for any reason whatsoever. It kind of left the morals that my parents taught me. I, you know, I began to, to use horrible language. I began to, to lust after girls. And I found myself doing things that I was told not to do and that I knew were wrong. But out of hate, I didn't really care. I just wanted to be understood by people. There were many times also in high school that I contemplated uh, ending my life because I just I couldn't stand uh, the fact that nobody would seem to accept me for who I was. 
And it wasn't until my senior year of high school that things really started to change for me. I was in one of my classes, and one of these other kids from my class, my grade, was also in that class. And we were doing a mock interview one day for, for an assignment, and he volunteered to go first. And the interviewer asked him in my class, what, what's, what, what do you do in your free time? And the way that he answered that question really, really struck me hard. And, and what he said in front of the whole entire class was, I like to read the Bible, I love Jesus, and I like to pray. And I just kind of sat back in my seat, and I was like, well, what did he just say? And this was a kid that got picked on more than I did. He, he got verbally abused more than I did. And I was just kind of in awe. Like, how does he have enough guts to do something like that? And so I went up and I talked to him after that class. And I got to know him a little bit more then. And I, I started to understand who he was. Because I had this attitude to pick on him too, just like everybody else did. But the thing I didn't expect out of that was he would invite me to a Bible study. <laughs> and that's what he did. And he, I went with him on that Wednesday night. When I got to that Bible study, I just felt this great joy with all the people there. Some of the people were from school, and others I didn't know, but there was this feeling that I got of, I'm actually accepted here. People wanted to get to know me here. Um, I wasn't shunned right away. And I, I didn't understand it, but I went in shaky and uncomfortable. <laughs> but during that Bible study, I, I kind of ran into things I, I just didn't really... I never really encountered before, and that's prayer. And like all these, all these people, they prayed out loud. They asked me for prayer requests, and I saw that as like uh, they actually care about me and they want to help me. And so throughout that Bible study, they got the Bible out. We all read it together. I, I, I didn't read the Bible before. I didn't know what was in it. I just knew what I learned from church back when I was in elementary school, and. You know, they were talking about Jesus as if he was a real person, as if they really knew him. And I never knew that before. I never knew what that was like. After that Bible study, I kind of left feeling so much different than I did before. And I, and I kept going back over the summer, and I got to know Brian better. I got to know the people at that Bible study better. And eventually, I, I wanted to make that decision to to change my hate and understand what love was, but I, I just didn't know it yet. And it was through that Bible study that I realized the way I was living was wrong, and I realized my sin. And I, I needed somebody to be there to save me because I struggled hard and long enough to leave the life I was living, and I couldn't get out of it myself. And through that Bible study and through reading God's Word finally and I started to pray. I, I, I came to know Jesus. And I began to see all these bigger things in my life kind of drift away. The hateful speech, the, the lust, the things that were holding me back, the things that I was trying to be accepted in. The more I put my trust in, in Jesus, the more I saw he was, he was taking out of my life, but he was filling me replacing those things. Instead of hate, I had love. And instead of hurtful things, I had joyful things and, and a life that was so much different. And that's kind of where I'm at today. And through that Bible study, 
the leader there, she told me to join Campus Crusade for Christ, and I didn't quite know what that was. I was scared to go to college, and I went, and I, I did join, and there, again, I felt that, that joy and that acceptance for people who really wanted to live for Christ, not people who just found Jesus to be the guy in the pictures, the church building, things like that. They, they knew he was a real person, and that he is alive today. And they want to live for him, and I wanted that too. So all this while I've been trying to figure out what love was, and I wanted to be accepted. And I found my, my acceptance, and I found love in, in Jesus. And just as it says in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Now, I didn't understand that right away, and I'm still learning what that means. And I don't know if I'll ever understand completely what that means, but I know I want to live for him, and I know that he's taken me from all the things I, all the ways I used to live. And I know that throughout everything that happened in my life, that <laughs> I wasn't the one that found love. Love found me, <laughs> and, and God found me. And he's changing my heart every day to live in obedience to him because that's, that's what loving him is. I just know that, that in, in him changing my heart, like it says in 1 John 4.10, is that in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And that he sent his son to be that atoning sacrifice for us. I want to show that love that was shown to me, that, that same joy and grace that was shown to me. I want to show that to other people. And I want to share that with other people. Because we love because he first loved us. I know what love is today. It's not, it's not being accepted by other people. It's not finding my acceptance in other things like friendships or activities. But it's, it's in Jesus. And I know that the way I can show that same love that was shown to me is to point others to Christ. And... I want to do that with that same joy and love and grace that was shown to me. And life is going to be hard and that there's going to be times where I'm going to be going back and forth with things, but I know that all the while that Jesus is going to be there to, to lift me up and, and to carry me the more I put my faith in him. So I just wanted to share with, that with you guys and, and just to tell you that I wasn't the one who found love, is that love found me and he can find you too. <laughs> Yeah, good enough we might be able to pray and go home, huh? Thanks so much, guys. The reason I think it's so amazing to hear stories like that from Dakota and David is because we're hearing the story about this invisible, awesome, beautiful, compelling God and how he's mingling with these young men's souls and how he's drawn them to himself. It's just so beautiful to hear. So I want to thank you guys for sharing. But, uh, well, hey, man. For both those guys, it was their first time sharing their testimony. So appreciate that a lot. That was really great. But yeah, I think, really, if you notice in their stories, too, something that was really cool is that there was, there was two things that happened in each of their stories that really helped change their lives. One was, was that there was a person who took a stand for Christ and who was really a witness for Christ in their lives. Did you catch that? Yes. And in Dakota's life, it was this girl, right? This girl had some boundaries. She knew Jesus, and she knew she couldn't 
give her heart to a guy who, whose heart didn't belong to Christ. And she told him that, and she invited him to, to church. And, and in David's life, there is this other guy, Brian, right, who's in class, and he's actually gotten picked on worse than, than David, and, and he has something going on in his life, right? This kid is the most picked on kid in school, and he says, I love Jesus, and reading the Bible, and prayer. I mean... That would send anybody just to thinking, whoa, there's something different about this guy. And it's just so cool to hear these kind of heroes, and these people are, are really just like you and me. They're just being a witness. They're saying, God, use me. I'll, I'll follow you right where I'm at. And then another thing that happened in both of their lives was God's Word. I don't know if you picked up on that, but in both of their stories, God's Word stuck out. The Dakota shared John 3.16, and, and uh, David shared a few passages out of 1 John that really spoke to him. And they heard those words somewhere spoken at a meeting or from a friend or somewhere along the line in different ways they they stuck out to these guys. And all of us, you guys, as we talk about evangelism, there really is uh, those two things that God is calling us to do. It says that we're ambassadors for Christ. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation, the gospel to take to all men. And really all of us can be a hero, kind of like Brian was in David's life and this gal, I didn't catch her name, but a little bit in Dakota's life. In this list in front of you, I wanted to bring your attention to it. But it says, check off all the statements about evangelism that you believe are true. Well, Nate and I, we've, we've talked about these types of things before. We're always trying to figure this out on campus. How do we encourage students to share their faith? And we realize there's a lot of things that float around in Christian circles, or maybe books that you read, or just people talking, that really prevent people from being a witness. And they kind of prevent people from sharing God's word with others. So this list is actually a compilation of some of those lies. So if you check them off, that's fine. You don't have to show anybody. This is really between you and God. But we, we compiled this list of things that we've heard that actually keep people from sharing their faith with others, that keep people from being a witness to other people. And each one of these, I think, is partially true. You know, maybe they're all, they're all highly suspect at the least. You know, maybe they're true sometimes, but not always. And maybe they're told as an absolute truth. But Satan is the one who is the father of lies. He would love to keep us in bondage, feeling like we're worthless, or feeling like the pursuit of happiness at all costs is the greatest thing in the world, and there is no God. He would love to keep us in bondage to some big lies like that. You're the most important thing in the world. There's no such thing as God. The Bible is a book of fairy tales. But guess what? For all of us, those lies, those big ones have been shattered. We're here gathered this morning because we believe God is seeking us. He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. This life is not all that there is. If Satan can tell us a lie, though, one of his big lies is going to be, don't share your faith. If he can keep us in bondage from sharing our faith with others, he's kind of winning the battle. Because each one of us could be influential in somebody else's life of the Lord. So I kind of wanted to go through these ten evangelism lies that Christians buy into. And you can evaluate them yourself and maybe take some notes, but we'll, we'll talk about them in a little bit. The first one says that uh, you must have the gift of evangelism to be able to share your faith. It's kind of interesting. We hear that once in a while. But imagine if somebody that you knew just needed to be encouraged, and uh, they're just down on their luck... And, and you just thought, I'd love to encourage you, but I just don't have that gift. The Holy Spirit has given certain gifts. Mine just happens to be hospitality, and I just, I just don't feel right encouraging you. It'd be silly, right? Or how about even giving? What if you said, yeah, you know what, I, I realize it's on my heart to give. I'd love to be part of this building project or giving to this mission trip. But again, my, my spiritual gift happens to be helps, and it's not giving financially. You'd say, well, that's, that's just silly, right? We're called and commanded throughout the Bible to be hospitable and, and to give, and we're commanded to share our faith. Some of us are going to be more gifted than others, for sure. But it's not that if we don't have the gift, we can't share our faith. All of us are called to be ambassadors for Christ. And also, we're always learning. Like Nate said, too, we haven't arrived. and We're definitely in, in a state of taking steps of faith and making mistakes and asking God to show up and, and make it real in people's lives. 
Uh, another lie that we're tempted to believe is that your personality, looks, style, actions, and such, they validate the gospel, and they make it relevant. The gospel really is God's word. It's relevant because it's his word. Sometimes we think, boy, I'm just not good enough, I'm not relevant enough, I'm not perfect enough or cool enough to share the gospel. That's almost the point. It's like, of course you're not. We're going to tell people about Jesus Christ and how good he is, and not to boost ourselves up and say, hey, look how great I am, I have it all together, you need to become like me. I mean, we're going to start the worst Pharisee church in the world if we do anything like that. So really the whole point of the good news is that we can't do it, and we're dependent on Christ to be enabling us to share our faith with others, to be a witness, to share his word. Or you might think you don't have all the answers. How many of you guys have ever been in a conversation with somebody and you're maybe trying to witness a little bit or share Christ or talk about your story with a family member or a friend, and you just think, and they ask you a question, and you think, boy, I have no idea. Have any of you guys ever been there, or you just thought, I don't really know the answer to that question. I've been there, and, and it's kind of awkward. And again, Jesus doesn't say, we have the Bible memorized, or at least the New Testament, before you share your faith. He says he's going to help us by reminding us of his word, and, and things that we can share with people. And also we can always tell somebody, hey, I don't understand the answer to that one, but I'll go back and find out. And we'll talk about it later. We can always prepare and and do things that will help us to understand where people are coming from, to be aware. But we're never going to have all the answers. A third lie is, is that you must be friends with somebody. Before you can share your faith with somebody, boy, you, you really got to be a pretty good friend. You know, a really good friend. And it's easy to think that way, because it's kind of hard to share with people right off the bat. But how many of you guys, and I'm going to raise my hand, how many people know people in your life that are pretty good friends, that you've just never had a conversation about Christ with them before? thought, yeah, okay, I know some of those people. I'm looking for opportunities still with them. Sometimes it's just harder once you know people for a while and you have a long-term relationship with them. It's harder to share your faith with them than it is with somebody that you don't know that well. It goes both ways. We can share with people that we don't know and people that we do know. There's not really a whole lot of biblical examples of that, of people that have gone out, made friends for a while, and then, and then shared their faith. That's not really an example in Scripture that we can find. You can look. Maybe there is somewhere, but it's not expressly commanded or given as this great idea throughout. Paul would go different places preaching the gospel where God called him to go, and then when he would get beaten or stoned and sent out of town, he would say, hey, let's walk back in there and finish up and then leave town tomorrow. He wasn't afraid of sharing with people that were not his best friends, put it that way. Also about that, too, it would be practically impossible. How many people live in Ignatio? Does anybody know? Town population? 700? Okay. So how long would it take for, for Pastor Randall or... For any of you all to befriend 700 people. So there's 50 people this morning, maybe. It's kind of like, uh, it's pretty hard to be friends and have everybody over for supper. Not a bad idea. We should, right? But at the same time, boy, maybe God might put somebody in your life that you meet at the grocery store or on the street or just in work in passing that you, you have an opportunity. You might be the only person in their life that really walks with Christ to be, to be that witness to them. The fourth one says, uh, you have to earn the right to be heard. You don't really have the right to be heard until you can earn it somehow by like really helping somebody out or really being there at the right time when they really need you and they're giving you the right to be heard. Well, people don't really give us rights. God gives us our rights. I say that respectfully. I don't hope to trample on anybody or uh, take away their rights by sharing the gospel with them. But when Jesus came, he was crucified on the cross, paid for all of our sin, removed him as far away as the east is from the west. He was about to ascend into heaven. The last thing he said was, hey, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And I am commanding you, go, make disciples. He's the one who gives out rights. God does. He's the one who has authority. And he's the one who tells us to go, make disciples of all nations, baptize people. Teach them everything that I've taught you. And that's where our rights come from. And sometimes when we're feeling a little bit afraid, we just got to say, that's right. 
Jesus has all authority. He's the one who's commanded me to do this. Uh, it's not a matter of my friend giving me the, giving me the right. Uh, a lot of times, yeah, we just don't know where people are at, and we can kind of assume that we need something that God's already given us. We just need to trust Him at His word. Boy, he did. He lived the perfect life. And the best news. Didn't you guys want to just jump up and down? David would share his story, and that kid shared Christ with him in class and invited him to I mean, wasn't that just so exciting? Don't you just want to see God, God do that in more people's lives? I just think there's so many great stories that are going to come out of this room as we, uh, as we go forth and share. Okay, another lie. Lie number five. It says, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't really want to hear the gospel unless they see you serving them in some way. Unless they tangibly know that you really love them. So I want to paint a picture for you and just ask you to kind of join me. If you were walking down, maybe around your house or down your street that you live on, I just want you to imagine to see, uh, see your neighbor's house is on fire. And there's flames leaping out of the basement, you know, and they're starting to creep into the second floor. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, their house is burning down. I better go, better go let them know because they're my neighbors and I love them. And then as you get closer to their house, you realize, you know what, they're upstairs having dinner. They're kind of having a lot of fun. They might not want to be disturbed. And in fact, you know what, their yard, uh, it's kind of unkept and nobody's trimmed their hedges. Maybe I'll stand out here and do some yard work for them and mow their grass. And, and hopefully they'll notice that I'm out here serving them. They'll come ask me what I'm doing and I can tell them their house is burning down they're about to die. No, yeah, that'd be ridiculous, right? No, you think their house is burning down. The loving thing to do is to let them know Hey, your house is burning down. You're, you're, it's pretty soon it's going to be uh, smoldering and you're going to be stuck in there and hopefully you'll get out in time. But the point is, is to love somebody is to be able to talk to them about the gospel. It is to try to figure out a way to show them that you love them by sharing the gospel with them. Really, it's both. Of course, we should be loving people and serving people and being a neighbor to them that loves them. And, but at the same time, sharing the gospel with somebody is, is showing them that you love them. Yeah, how caring and how loving is it to believe that, yeah, God is a God of love, He's a God of justice also, and a God of wrath. How could I not tell somebody? How unloving would it have to be not to try to tell your neighbor about the gospel, about the bad news, that there is God, that there is sin, and the best news, that we are going to live forever. There's an atheist who's named Penn Jillette. That's right, Penn Jillette. He's a famous comedian slash illusionist. Have you guys ever heard of Penn and Teller? The big guy and a tiny guy. The one guy doesn't talk. They're kind of weird. But they're really popular. They're very successful at what they do. Well, Penn is an atheist, and after one of his shows, after one of their performances, a Christian came up to him and shared a little bit about Christ with him. And, and you're going to hear a little bit about what this atheist guy, this kind of big, I mean, he's like seven feet tall or something. He's a huge dude. But you're going to hear what this atheist uh, how he responded after Christian shared his faith with him. Is that film just about ready? And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and, um, and complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it that I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, 
proselytizing. I mean, he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. But he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. He was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you, and this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, that I've written about that, I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible. He was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. That was a good man who gave me that book. Okay, who amen the atheist? All right, pretty good. No, seriously, he's saying some pretty powerful stuff, right? How much would you have to hate somebody to believe in hell and that there's a God who provided a way of escape and into everlasting joy, <laughs> increasing pleasure forever? How much would you have to hate somebody not to share that with them? I mean, that's a powerful statement to hear from, from a guy like that, right? It's like, okay, God, help me. <laughs> help me to get that heart because it is easy for every one of us to believe one of these lies and get stuck. But uh, hopefully that will resonate with you. And you might be able to find that on YouTube again if you want to. Watch it later. I think that's where Nate got it from was YouTube. God doesn't want us to offend anyone. That's another, another lie that we're tempted to believe. God just doesn't want me to offend anybody. And this guy was saying the opposite. He's saying if it's true, you better be willing to offend them. And really what we're saying as Christians is let's trust God to, uh, to make it work out. That people would hear, that their eyes would be open. People should be offended by our message if they're going to hate God. But hopefully not our actions. Did you hear him say? The guy was polite. The guy was normal. He was sane. His actions were not corrupt, and his message was true, even though this guy has not repented yet. We should pray for him. Matthew 5.11, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. If we went in this town today and shared our faith with somebody, and somebody said, You're an idiot jerk. Why are you doing this to me? Don't you see that somebody already said this to me before, and I don't care? Like, leave me alone. If that happened to you, it would almost be like, Well, it's kind of awkward, Jesus, but you're saying... Be blessed. I mean, we're following his steps. This is what Jesus did. He took steps for us. He was willing to actually offend people. He went to the cross and died while the people that he was dying for actually mocked him. Good works are evangelism is lie number seven. If we do good works, 
we're basically doing evangelism. Uh, and that's not true. We should do good works. But really, the Word of God is what leads to life. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. Number eight says, Preach always, use words if necessary. That was falsely attributed to Francis of Assisi. If that's the case, if we can just like live the gospel out, then the Mormons are doing a great job. The Buddhists are, and so are some atheists. They're all living out a great life. Why use words? Words are, the message of the gospel is the key idea that God uses to bring people to life when we're able to see what Jesus did on the cross and repent and turn to Him and realize that He is our Savior. Good works are not the Savior. Jesus Christ is. Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? Another lie is that older people are stuck in their ways and they won't trust Christ. A year ago, Laura's father, my wife's father, he's 50s, he came up to me and said, yeah, you know, I really started believing all that Jesus stuff when we had that conversation a year ago. And I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, when you're talking about how Jesus was unique and how he was really the only way, he's like, that's what I really believed. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, he was not responsive at all. It turns out he ended up trusting Christ that night or a little bit after that. A lot of times it is easy to think that. Younger people love to sing Jesus songs. Older people who don't are stuck in their ways. It's not true. This is the last lie. The gospel is unattractive, repulsive, and people don't want to hear the good news. That's from the pit of hell. Really, we don't know who is going to respond or who's not. Same issue. Some people don't want to know the gospel. But really, we don't know who those people are. And Paul says uh, in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First the Jew, then the Gentile. But it is powerful to save, and we can't tell who's going to respond and who won't respond. But the fear of somebody not thinking the gospel really shouldn't keep us from sharing it. I'm sure all of you, maybe some of you, most of you, have known that uh, before you trusted Christ, there was people that shared the gospel with you. It didn't make sense. Maybe it repelled you. That happened to me a little bit in middle school. Some kid shared the gospel with me. I thought, ah, get away. And then later, it's like I went back and thanked him and shook his hand. (laughs) It's kind of a cool day, actually. Nate, I think, is going to come up next and share a little bit more, so I'll turn it over to you. So you guys have the second activity there, and I'm not going to make you go through it. If you've already started writing down different things that you already talked about, great. If you haven't, then you can do that on your own. But the point there is for you to analyze your own speech and what you're talking about. Matthew 12.34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if God, if your relationship with Jesus is not coming up in your conversations, or very rarely, then the issue probably isn't that you need to learn how to do evangelism. But by Jesus' own words, the issue is your own heart for him. Because out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth speaks. Now, what if you never heard Pastor Randall talk about his wife or his kids? I don't hang out with him all that often, but the last time we hung out, he's telling me about their house and the kids and his wife, and she's over here. And That shows me, yeah, he loves her. He's talking about it, right? Isn't that true? What if you never heard him talk about them? You'd have to conclude he doesn't care for them that much. So if I find that I'm not sharing about Jesus Christ and what he's doing in my life, the only conclusion I can take from that is that he isn't as important to me as I think he might be. Seriously, take some time and evaluate your speech. Ask your spouse or ask a friend, what do I talk about? What kinds of things do you hear coming out of my mouth? If I talk about, I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan, if I talk about the St. Louis Cardinals ten times as often as I talk about Jesus Christ, I can conclude I probably love the St. Louis Cardinals about ten times as much as I love Jesus. And I hate to come to that conclusion, but by Jesus' own words, that's true. So analyze your speech. Ask somebody that you're close to to help you analyze it and see where your heart's really at. Because until our heart is where it needs to be with God, there's no point in learning how to share our faith. 
And once our heart is where it needs to be with God, you'll be talking about Him. You can't help but talk about Him. The more you love God, the more you can't help talking about Him. We believe all these lies, and we turn evangelism into this big monster. All these lies Austin was sharing about. And, and we need to demystify it. It's not this big, hairy monster that I need to slay. And I need to work up all the courage in the world to do that. I really simply need to just realize, this is an issue of loving my Savior. It's not this big deal. And once I start loving Jesus, this is going to become a lifestyle. Dakota is a pretty young believer. I hear Dakota talking about his faith all the time. And he and the guys on campus, they go witnessing in their free time for fun. Now they'll call me up, what are you doing, Nate? Oh, I'm at Walmart getting some groceries. Oh, man, darn. It's Friday afternoon. We all thought we'd all go share our faith. So we'll be out. If you get a chance, come join us, you know? Now, why are they doing that? Because Master Plan Ministry said, 2 p.m. Friday, you better get out and share your faith. No. It's their heart. They love their Savior. And they're going to share about Him. Austin and I have kind of an accountability agreement. Some of the students do too with us. That our goal is to share our faith every day. And it's not like a rule, but it is a goal that we point at. Because I want to be telling people about Jesus. So do you believe Jesus? I just want to ask you guys a quick question. Is Jesus a liar? Yes or no? No, he's not a liar. So if he says something, can you believe it? Alright, now get this. This is important. In Matthew 9, 36-37, many of you know this verse, or this passage. It says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So where's the problem? Is it with the harvest or with the workers? Yeah, it's with the workers, right? Now, a lot of us can tend to believe the people around me aren't interested. How many of you believe that lie? I have. Jesus himself says that's not the case. The harvest is right. The problem is that the workers are few. There are few people that are recognizing that harvest and willing to get in the harvest. They're not willing to be a part of what he's already doing. Depravity is evidence that people are desperate and searching. When you look around your culture, when we look at college students, and and we hear stories that most of you would cringe if you heard them, about what happens in the dorms and the parties and all that sort of stuff. You could go, oh, they are so far from God. We could say, they, they are so uninterested. But on the contrary, that is evidence that they are searching further than anybody ever has. It's evidence that they are looking for Jesus. The hotter the desert, the thirstier people will be. And a lot of us as Christians, we're looking at a very hot desert in a spiritual sense around us, and we're looking at a whole lot of people that aren't drinking much water. And we're concluding that they're not interested in water. That's stupid. It's a wrong conclusion. We need to realize this desert is hot and people are thirsty and nobody's giving them water to drink. I'm going to start giving them some water to drink. Jesus said the harvest is ripe. In John 12, 32 and 33, Jesus continues and he says, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Okay, so I've heard people say, well, if we lift Christ up, then he'll draw men unto himself. That's not the case. Because then the burden is on me. Right there it says he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. He was lifted up on a cross. That already happened. Jesus said, if that happens, and it did, I will draw all men unto myself. So by Jesus' own words, and all of you in here said you don't think he's a liar, he is drawing every person around you to himself. He's showing them his kindness that draws them to repentance. I need to take that by faith and believe that he is true and that he's not lying. I used to pray, God, draw that man to yourself. Draw that person to yourself. And then it hit me. That's a bad thing to pray. He's already doing it. It's like asking God to love people. He told me he's doing it, right? So now I pray, God, 
open that man's eyes so he can see how you're already drawing him. So he can see how you're already working in his life. Because the issue isn't that God isn't working, but the issue is that he's not seeing it. And I want to help him see it. Okay, Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower. You guys remember this? Verses 1 through 9. And we heard a speaker speaking on this, and he made a great observation. He said, what kind of farmer sows seeds on rocks, on a road, and in thorns? And he said, a moron. (laughs) Okay? And then he made a really awesome conclusion. He said, God didn't call you to be a soil specialist, but a seed chucker. He didn't call you to analyze where everybody is around you and find out who's interested and what do they need to hear next and what words do I need to say and how do I, you know, how do I need to act and should I or should I not? And he just said, just share. <laughs> I don't care if it's an atheist. Share with the atheist. Share with the clerk of the groceries. Just share. Chuck some seed. Throw the seed out. And then let God produce the fruit that he wants to from that seed. Like he promises in 1 Corinthians 3. Any of you guys farmers in here? I know this is kind of a ranching community. Any of you guys grow produce or anything like that? Or What do you grow? You guys grow corn? Yeah. Okay, so here's a question. Let's say you got really lazy next spring. You just don't feel it. You go out and you plant three seeds. And the fall comes. How much corn are you going to have that fall? Two years. <laughs> are you going to go bankrupt that fall? <laughs> yeah. Okay, now what would you say as a farmer? Would you say, I knew sowing seed wouldn't work? Is the problem that you sowed seed? The problem is you didn't sow enough seed, right? Now, we're doing that as the church in America. We're not sharing our faith. We're not sowing any seed. And then we're concluding, nobody's trusting Christ. Gosh, we've got to change our method. <laughs> now, you don't need to change your method. You just need to start sowing some seed. You're not going to reap what you didn't sow. Does that make sense? Does it show you kind of where our thinking is as a nation and as a lot of Christians that have grown up in a culture where we've almost been over-Christianized to the point of being in a fishbowl mentality where we can't even see what's obvious when it's right in front of our face? I mean, I have people all the time. All the time we see students that trust Christ. And all they heard was a little four-law booklet that was written 50 years ago by Bill Bright. Is that booklet everything? No. Does it have the gospel in it? Yes. Can God use that? Yes. God can use anything. We just need to start sowing. We just need to start sowing. Alright, so I need his heart for the lost. Remember Matthew 9.36, before Jesus said the harvest is ripe, he said that he had compassion on the multitudes. I need that compassion. If I'm not sharing with those around me, there's a lack of heart. That is a big issue. And I need his heart. And I can pray for those people. That'll help give me a heart. I would encourage you to have a top ten list of people that you're praying would come to know Christ. And then just watch how exciting it is when those people make it off the top ten list and onto the pray for God to encourage them and grow them list. But honestly, guys, so pray for a heart. Start sharing your faith. That will develop a heart for evangelism in you. But ultimately, guys, get in God's Word and see what's really true. I want to tell you a little analogy that God gave me in the middle of the night, gosh, a couple weeks ago. Aaron and I had read a story about one of these kidnappings where a child got kidnapped. And I'm a father of a beautiful young daughter, Eliana. She's almost two years old. We have another one on the way any day almost right now. I never used to read those stories the way I do now about kidnappings. As a father, they hit me in a new way. Before I'd read them as just another news event. And now I can't help but think, that could be my daughter. How could I live if she was gone from me? I, mean, could, I, I, would, I was thinking this night, I couldn't sleep. I'm thinking, could I even 
Could I even go to sleep at night knowing that my daughter was out in somebody else's hands? Could I work? Could I go to campus and do evangelism and discipleship? Thinking, how could I be showing some guy how to grow in his walk with God if my daughter is in who knows whose hands out there? Wouldn't you just do anything and everything to find your your daughter or your son? And as I was thinking this, late at night, it hit me, that's God's heart for the lost. He's that father that has a lost child out there. It kind of hit me in a way that I'd never felt his heart for the lost. And then instantly, the second part of that hit me, and it was very convicting. And that was this. If I had a friend that knew where my daughter was and was doing nothing to rescue her, would that person even be a friend? I mean, would you? I, I thought to myself, I'd shoot him, <laughs> right? Isn't that crazy? That's God's heart for the lost and often my response that even though I'm here and have the capacity to reach the lost that he's passionate about, I do nothing. And it, it hit me hard. And thank God he is full of love and mercy and grace so he doesn't shoot us. <laughs> he loves us unconditionally, right? And he blesses us and lavishes his mercy on us and his, and his blessings. But honestly, guys, I need to have his heart. I need to see the lost around me with the same heart that he has. Here are five ways that you can make a difference and that you can get into the fight and get into this thing we call evangelism. It's an acronym. I like acronyms. And it's ACTION. So you can just write ACTION down the side of your notes. And while you're doing that, I'm going to just mention James 1.22 because it's all about action. Be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. So James 1.22 is all about putting God's word into action. And if I don't put it into action, what does it say? I deceive myself, right? Just check this out about giving, Pastor Randall. When people say, I I can't tithe, what is the number one reason? I can't tithe because... I can't tithe because I can't afford to tithe. Do you have enough money to tithe? Yes. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your needs, right? Look at the context, 4.18, out of their own generosity, God was meeting all their needs. Does that make sense? Malachi 3.10, he'll open the floodgates of heaven as we give. Can I give? Absolutely. But if I don't give, I start to deceive myself and believe that I can't give. Does that make sense? So when I don't put God's word into action, I become deceived. That's what James 1.22 is saying. And it's the same thing about evangelism. He says the harvest is ripe. I don't share my faith. What do I start to believe? Nobody wants to hear. Does that make sense? Do you see how real that verse is? If I'm not putting his word into action, I become deceived. So I want to give you some practical ways that you can put some of this into action. A is acknowledge God's call. Realize that he has called every one of you to be a part of what we call the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Going into all the world and making disciples of all nations. Making disciples starts with evangelism. Your success is not in numbers of responses. Your success is in faithfulness. If you're faithful to share, taking the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit, then trusting the results to God, that's success. And who cares what you see afterwards? The rest is his problem, not yours. Okay, so A, acknowledge God's call. C, connect with God and be empowered by his Holy Spirit. If you're not connecting with God, evangelism is just an activity and the power of your own flesh. And that's not going to get you far. So C, connect with God. T, train yourself and others for the battle. Come up with a game plan. You can see Paul's game plan in Acts 17.2, as was his custom. (laughs) It tells us exactly what he did. If you went into Ephesus, got ran out of the city, nearly got stoned, rioting mobs, they tried to kill you, 
You're going to do the same thing in the next city? He wasn't judging his, his success based on the response, but on his faithfulness, right? On just being faithful to God's call. So train, learn, grow, get some good books, get some good training. Talk to Pastor Randall. He's done this most of his life. Get some good training. Come with us this afternoon. You'll get to have some good training by getting out and doing it, right? I, out of the action acronym, is intercede. Start praying. The divine order. Talk to God first about people, then talk to people about God. So start interceding. And then O is outreach opportunities. Reach your sphere of influence. Colossians 4, 5 says make the most of every opportunity. So take advantage of every opportunity God gives you. Only you know what an opportunity is. Is an opportunity sharing the gospel with every single person you cross paths with? I don't know. You'd probably die if you tried to share with every person you cross paths with. But... Is a grocery store clerk an opportunity? These guys on Crush Beer all had to go through grocery lines and share the, share the gospel briefly with the people that were checking them out. That was a couple days ago. But anyway, guys, you know what an opportunity is. And if you're sensitive to His Spirit in you, and then you take a step of faith, you can make the most of every one of those opportunities. Okay, N is network with other believers doing the same things. Because if you try to do it on your own, you're going to get burned out fast. Austin has been an accountability partner and friend for many, many years, for like a decade plus. And we've shared our faith together in multiple continents and countries with Muslims and atheists and all sorts of different people. And every time I'm with Austin, I feel compelled to share my faith. We're always encouraging each other towards sharing our faith. right? So network with other believers doing the same thing. Alright, so closing this out, why are you guys in Ignatio? Why are you here? Is it just an accident? Did God mess up and put you here? Is this just a joke? Gosh, God, why? 700 people? Why am I here? Acts 17, 26-27 says, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. And God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. So why are you here now? It says he determined the times and the places that you should live so that men would seek him and find him. You're in Ignacio in 2010 so that people in this city would seek him and find him. Does that make sense? There's a purpose behind you being here. There's a purpose for this church that's far greater than you guys just enjoying each other's company. God put you here as his ambassadors, his representatives in this city. In The Fuel and the Flame, Steve Shadrach quotes Walt Henriksen, who says, If you are at college for any other reason than to be a missionary for Jesus Christ, you are there for selfish and sinful reasons. That's pretty hardcore, huh? You could say that about your community. If you are in Ignacio for any other reason than to be a missionary for Jesus Christ, you are here for sinful and selfish reasons. It doesn't say you shouldn't be doing whatever job God's put you in. But he's put you here for a much greater reason than your job. He's put you here to win this community to him. And so I just want to ask you one question in closing. And this is between you and God. You don't have to raise your hand or say anything. But are you going to say yes or no to God's call? Are you going to say yes or no to God's call? And if you say yes, you're not saying, I have to know everything, I have to be the greatest, I have to be Pastor Randall before God can use me. No, that's not it. You're just saying, God, I'm available. Use me as weak and frail and unable and unschooled as I am. Just use me to do what you want. And as you take the initiative to trust God and be available, He will blow your socks off, I promise. 
He will do awesome things. So, yes or no? Are you going to respond to his call? That's all I have to share. I want to invite you to, I guess there's a potluck after this. Randall will come up and share more about that. Come share with us this afternoon. Right now we have people in Durango, Bayfield, and Ignacio, a bunch of students and a bunch of staff that are out doing testimonies like this morning. And the Bayfield crew is all going to meet here at your church after they're done in Bayfield. So we told them to come here at about 1. So from 1 o'clock on, or whenever the potluck's done or whatever, we want to invite you to come with us, even if you've never shared your faith before. And it'll be a lot, it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be exciting. We'll give you some good tools you can use, and we'll pair you up with some people that have done this a time or two. And then, gosh, the rest is in God's hands. <laughs> okay? So we want to invite you.